Friends, let us pray. Gracious and holy God, shine your light in our hearts. Help us to hear your word, to be changed by it, to be drawn closer to you and to the fellowship of your body, the church, and help us to serve you faithfully. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Today's gospel reading is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Hear these words of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1630, John Winthrop arrived on this continent with fellow Puritans from England to form the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And as he came ashore, he gave a famous address, about as famous as you could get in 1630. And the words that he uttered in that address would be seriously misinterpreted in subsequent decades, and even centuries up to and through today, according to historians of American religion. Later generations would misunderstand his words as a sign of America's preferential status in God's eyes. Later generations would use his words to promote an ideology known as manifest destiny, the belief that it was the destiny of European settlers to expand westward and to colonize this country. Manifest destiny was often wrapped in a religious cloak and used to conquer and oppress the natives of this land. And the ramifications of this misguided belief continue through today. They continue in the ongoing plight of Native Americans. They continue in the way our nation's leaders engage the world. They continue in the way we as an American society see ourselves. So what speech could possibly reverberate so erroneously for so long? 
What could Winthrop possibly have said that others could so grossly misconstrue? Well, what he said alludes directly to today's gospel text. And what he said was that the Massachusetts Bay Colony he and his fellow Puritans would form must be a city upon a hill. But contrary to commonly held belief, he was not advocating a special divinely ordained role for this nation. In the Massachusetts Bay Colony, in fact, there remained a clear distinction between civic and religious authority. You see, what Winthrop wanted to do was to create a godly church. He wanted to urge his fellow New Englanders to build a church whose ideals and principles would become a model for other churches to follow. And he wanted to form a church and community that would influence the behavior and morals of the broader society. It's that notion of Christ transforming culture described by H. Richard Niebuhr. So did John Winthrop get it right? Let's go back to the mountain in Matthew where Jesus was last week, teaching the Beatitudes so meaningfully interpreted by the youth of this church during the service last week. Well, this week, Jesus is still giving his sermon to his disciples after his public tour of healing and restoring and bringing comfort to people in their dark and broken world. For remember, the place where Jesus teaches and preaches is occupied territory. The people he teaches are subject to a ruling power that they have no control over, do not want there, and don't know how to get rid of. And to these followers, he says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. So today, let's channel our inner geeks and let's flesh these few lines out a bit. You are the light of the world. This is you plural, collectively, not you individually. Instead of this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine as lovely as it is, and it was incredible, sung by our kids. The song really should be this little light of ours. We're gonna let it shine, but it doesn't rhyme. It doesn't change the fact that the scripture text says you, this whole group together, are the light of the world. In his sermon on this text, Philip Martin Jr. noted this doesn't just mean random acts of kindness. It doesn't just mean individual lights. Besides this little light of mine, I learned another song as a child, and its lyrics were, Jesus bids us shine with a clear, pure light like a little candle burning in the night. In this world of darkness, we must shine, you in your small corner and I in mine. Again, a nice little song, and it doesn't totally capture the pluralness, and I'm not even sure that's a word. 
It doesn't capture the collectiveness of all of you together. You, the community, you, the church. Said Martin, Jesus doesn't even seem to make much room for an individualistic understanding either. The light of Christ shines through the church. In other words, shining the light isn't a solo sport. And that's why I'm so grateful for our seven new members who are saying, yes, we want to shine the light together with you this morning a little bit later. Furthermore, historians note that it was Rome and the emperor who were called a light to the world. But Matthew totally subverts this. Matthew totally turns it upside down when Jesus says, no, not them, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Jesus declares things already are this way. This is who Jesus' followers already are, who you already are, the light of the world. So be who you already are, claim it and live it. You are the light of the world. Light that scatters the darkness, light that brightens, light that attracts, light that exposes what's hidden in secrecy, light that uncovers the forces of evil and oppression, light that reveals the way, light that drives out fear. God knows there's enough darkness. We recite the litany in our prayers every week. Poverty, racism, segregation, sexism, economic disparity, violence, hatred, divisiveness, pride, idolatries, greed, exclusion, brokenness, pain, isolation, and the thing that maybe underlies all of it, hopelessness. You are the light of the world. This is a big mission. We have a mission. The church has a mission to the world, to Rochester, to our neighbors. And to be faithful to our call, our ministry can never just be about us, no matter the trends, no matter the numbers, no matter the predictions or speculations about the future, no matter the present situation. The call never changes. Be who you are. Be who Jesus has declared you to be. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. So in this same way, let you, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now there's no incongruity here being declared the light of the world and then being warned against keeping that light hidden. For Jesus isn't describing a light that's been extinguished like the snuffing out of candles that we do at the close of the service every week. He's describing a light that's been covered up and rendered ineffective by the blackout curtains that we put on our windows. The curtains that both keep light from coming in and from shining outward. We feel the anxiety of the times. We feel it in our politics. 
We feel it in the news. We feel it in our changing landscape. We feel it descending like a veil of darkness and despair. It can plague our thoughts and overtake our gospel impulses. Our collective fear and anxiety might just be that bushel basket that's looming overhead, ready to cover up the light that Jesus has declared us to be. We need, writes Bruce Epperly, to go from anxiety to affirmation and find our true path as God's light in the world. He goes on that today's words are political, spiritual, and transpartisan. They challenge us to listen for God's voice in a challenging time. They challenge us to be light bearers for just such a time as this. At our most recent afternoon with the commissioning class, we looked at the historic creeds and confessions of the church. Now each of these confessions is thoroughly based in scripture. And each of these comes out of a particular time in the life of the church where something so consequential was going on in the world, where there was such a big question out there that the church felt they needed to say something about it, to shine the light of Christ, if you will. We looked briefly at the Apostles' Creed, which the church has historically associated with baptism and proclaims the most basic and traditional beliefs shared broadly about, across Christianity throughout history. And then we looked at the theological declaration of Barman. Now the Barman Declaration was written by a group of German church leaders in 1934 when a popular movement known as the German Christians saw no conflict between Christianity and the ideals of the Nazi party. And at that time, most took the union of Christianity, nationalism, and militarism for granted. And they equated patriotism with Christianity. But some within the church resisted, including the likes of Karl Barth and Martin Niemöller. And they declared publicly that they believed their core identity was grievously imperiled, that their theological basis was continually and systematically thwarted and rendered ineffective by alien principles. And they went on to declare Jesus Christ as he is attested for us in Holy Scripture is the one word of God which we have to hear and which we have to trust and obey in life and in death. When Jesus said to his disciples, let your light shine, a city on a hill cannot be hid, it was not an easy world. They lived under occupation. When the authors of the Barman Declaration proclaimed their allegiance to Jesus as Lord and not Hitler and his ideals, it was not an easy world. And though we don't face the realities of those times, our own context doesn't feel particularly easy either. And still Jesus says, you, plural, you together, you, the church, are the light of the world. 
big budget or not as big, in transition or not, you are God's grace made visible in the world. You are God's grace made visible to a community that longs to see and bask in the light of that grace on a daily basis. Be who you are, and no matter what, don't hide it. Don't obscure it. Don't pull the shades. For a city like that, up on a hill, cannot be hid. It's more than being a model for the world, and it's even more than transforming culture. It's about taking part in the kingdom of God itself. So, in 1630, did John Winthrop get it right? And more importantly, in 2020, do we? Amen.